Welcome to another edition of the Find Your Calling podcast. I'm Todd Wilson, the host, and today I am thrilled to have William Vanderblumen with me. Well, let's just jump right in. What I'd like to do, William, is give us a few-minute overview of your journey from childhood to now. Yeah, I grew up uh, going to church, but nominally, because it was what you were supposed to do. You know, I had pretty good head knowledge. We weren't there every week. You know, we were probably there a couple times a month. Uh, which back then was sparse. Now we count that as perfect attendance. Then I uh, was going to be an entrepreneur. I always, always had a job. I started polishing my grandmother's silver when I was six and then started asking her if she had friends and built a business and then was a newspaper boy that bought other routes out. And so always been building, thought I'd do an MBA, building business, Went had a rather dramatic conversion in uh, college uh, because I am stubborn and need a dramatic conversion for it to work, and uh, decided to go and be a PhD and uh, teach religion like the teachers that I was hearing from at Wake Forest. So I went to Princeton for seminary to get a PhD and had another wrestling match with God where he made it clear that he wanted me to be a pastor, pastor in the Presbyterian Church for about 15 years, served three different churches, Loved the churches. They were great. I was probably always a little too entrepreneurial, probably rocking the boat a little too much. And then went into the business world. Uh, Anadarko Petroleum is a manager. It's a fairly large company uh, in their HR department. And God brought the two streams together, really, to uh, lead me now to say, is there a way we can build a better process for churches that need team members? Church yeah. plus business equals where I am now. Well, that's great. Hey, if you would, there's no standard definition for calling that you can find. Just in your own words, articulate, what's your definition of calling? You know, Todd, I get that question a lot. I don't know that I have, I've got textbook answers, you know, and you can use the word vocation, which I'm sure you've had guests do. I remember my son just going through college and felt like he wanted to go into ministry felt like it's what he should do. And I said, you're going to feel that way because I was. Don't don't fall into that trap. You know, I said, you know what my job is now. And he said, yes, you're supposed to spend all the time you can trying to talk me out of it. And I said, exactly. And I said, why is that? He said, because I should try everything else first. And if I can't help myself and really feel I must go into it, then it's a call. I said, exactly. So, you know, that's the old Spurgeon advice. When men would come to him and say, I want to go into ministry, he'd say, go try everything else first. So I would say if you're examining your life and you find something that you keep going back to that you just can't leave alone, no matter what you've been doing, what career you've had, where you've been in life, if there's something you just can't get your mind off, then that's probably your calling. And it might be building systems for your business or uh, working with students or some kind of artistic expression. And, and all those things might lead you down the road to, you know, I'm called to be a children's pastor. Like, for the rest of my life, I'm called to that because I can't get that off my brain. So if you have that thing that, in a good way, keeps you up at night and keeps rolling around in your brain as something that needs to uh, get done by you, then even if you try other things, you know, I think that's when you start to tap into a true calling rather than just taking a job or, as many people do, they just jump from career to career hoping one will hit where they you know, find a workplace that has a sliding board or a ping pong table, and that's my calling. Let me press into that a little bit. You work with so many candidates for positions. People will say to you, I'm called to such and such, but beyond them saying they're called to it, 
What are the characteristics you look for when you're working with someone and you're trying to match a person up with a position? What are those things you're looking for, either in their experience, their mannerisms, the thing they say? You know, how do you get clues into their calling short of them telling you what their calling is? That's a great question. And when I figure it out, I'll, I'll call you back and give you an answer. Because <laughs> it's, it's just much more art than science. I mean, clearly you can look at where people've been. Uh, the best predictor of future performance is past performance and where they've flourished. You know, I think about like church planter assessments, right? You guys clearly have things you look, not just when were you pastoring, but when you were a kid, did you like doing the same thing every day or did you like adventures and were you entrepreneurial or more managerial? And it can tell you pretty quickly, is this person going to make it as a kingdom entrepreneur that we call church planter? For me, it's about where do I hear the passion in their voice? Where can I see evidence of that passion lived out? Where have they worked for free on a part of their life where they really had no reason or business to do that? And you start to look for alignments. Say, you know, this person really just like me. You know, when I was nine, I had a paper route. I figured out the three routes around me were really fragmented. And if I bought out all three of the routes, combined the four, and then redistributed them in a way that would, frankly, help me a lot, and then make them a little more sane, it, it worked out better. And, like, I have always been wired up to go start something and try and build it. It's, it's just a signature all the way back to fourth-grade paper routes. So I try and listen to life story and where the real passion has been with the person and where the repetition of pattern has shown up, and then try and align that with, you know, whatever the thing is that they are saying is their calling. How would you articulate in the simplest terms possible your calling today? I serve the kingdom by creating connections. Most of the guests that I have on can do what you just did. They can succinctly get it down to sort of a core essence of two words. Our mutual friend Will Mancini calls it the core essence or the ING exercise that you ought to be able to take two words. The first one ends in ING. So in your case... Creating connections fits perfectly. Well, and, and what's funny is Will actually ran me through that exercise 10 years ago. I was a pastor at a fairly good-sized church at First Grace Houston, and I just signed a multi-book deal with a publisher, and they wanted me to write a shelf full of books. And so I went to Will and said, I need to know what my brand needs to be, right? What's my thing? I've got this great offer. One more, so he ran me through the exercise, and I, I thought, I, I'm going to be a preacher and teacher. It'll be, you know, life improvement or whatever. And he ran me through the exercise, went up on the mountain and does the magic that he does, and he comes back and says, I think your two words are this. You serve the kingdom by creating connections. And I said, no, I don't. No, I don't. I'm a preacher and a teacher. All my job is is to preach and teach. I don't create connections. Well, <laughs> Fast forward a few years later, and here I am thinking about starting a search firm, and I ran across those words, and I'm like, oh, wow, he was right. I've always loved introducing people at a, a party. I've always loved making connections, and now I spend all day every day working on that. It seems like at the core of the competency in a search firm is is the merging of two things. There's, in some ways, what you call the art part. It's being able to see the passion, the background, the skills, the competencies, We'll call it the content, if you will, of, of people. And the second part of it is the network of relationships and connections. 
and it would appear you're you know creating connections really fits both the connecting with candidates that want a position and connecting with churches that are looking for positions yeah that's spot on man i would say the only thing i'd add to that databases help but we start every search saying okay for database evaporated today how would we solve this puzzle because you don't want to like lean on i've got a great network well nobody's got a network that covers the whole kingdom so Really, the, the art of being able to figure out where to find people, even if you don't know them, that's, that's a pretty big deal. But the, the, the piece that, uh, it all really boils down to is discernment. And that's true of finding your personal calling. There's not a formula. There's not a test. There's no personality inventory that's going to outline it for you. It's discernment. That deep down in the gut thing where Jesus describes how the heart of the Father was turned in his insides or in the Old Testament, you talk about, you know, the Urim and the Thurim. That was the casting of the dice, and it went away after the Holy Spirit fell because we have this deep-in-our-kidneys ability to discern what God's doing, and, and our job is to live in such a way that that discernment just grows every day. So I'm sorry to go sermonette on you. I'm a, I'm a recovering preacher. No, that's great. Let's press into your story a little bit more. I like to look through the lens of a be-do-go framework. Who are we created to be? What's our core identity? Uh, what are we made to do? And then where do we do it? I'm going to assume the way you articulate creating connections, that that element of your core identity, you know, this idea of creating connections, we probably would see that across all domains of your life. It wouldn't just be at work. We'd see it in your work, in your church, in your family, in your community. Is that a safe bet? Totally. You'd see it in me doing, you know, spending downtime doing Sudoku. That's a game of connections. It's just everywhere I go, it's how do I introduce this person to that person? How do I? And it's never been a better time to have that as your passion than the, the Internet age. Oh, my goodness. It's just so much fun. So definitely all the way down to the root. Now, it's taken me 46 years to figure that out. Well, if I can bring then that core identity that I'm assuming as we go through the timeline of your life, we're going to see that at every turn. You've also brought up the word being an entrepreneur. You know, you, you said at the youngest age with your grandmother's silver and then expanding it and the paper root business. And you made the comment that in your 15 years in ministry, that maybe you were a little bit too entrepreneurial for the ministry part. So we clearly see entrepreneurialism there. Would you say that that entrepreneurial piece in you is more about your core identity, is more about then shaping your core identity into what you do and where you do it, or where does the entrepreneurial piece fit for you? Well, I think that's a great question. I think at the end of the day, what do you do that drives deep satisfaction? Like God, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart, right? As the Psalms say, delight in Him and He'll give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean at your core? So for me, those deep desires are met when I can see two people connect that would not have had I not been in the equation. And that's somewhat selfish. I just love to see Him connect. But I love to be the conduit between the two. Frankly, that was the part of ministry that I loved the most was preaching to non-believers and seeing someone who didn't know Jesus, get connected to him. And that, that's reducing evangelism to a very small right. piece of the puzzle. But that really was the root. And then beyond that, the other motivators absolutely... If I sat in a stagnant environment creating connections, if I worked at a phone bank all day, I would lose my mind. Because another part of me is the part that 
has to try to find something that can be built, something that can grow. And I wish I'd have known that about myself when I went into ministry, because frankly, I mean, God doesn't make mistakes, and he used some of my time in ministry, but if I were advising a young me, I would have said, you need to learn who you are, and when you figure that out, you probably need to go learn how to plant a church and, and do it that way, because you're going to fit a lot better there than you are serving churches that have been around 150, 200 years. I think, William, one key thing for our listeners, this idea of core identity, core identity brings the passion in us to life. It you know, it, it causes us to lean forward in our seat. It causes our our voice to get more excited. And even in this conversation with you, as you describe not just starting a paper route, but seeing the disconnectedness and how you could bring three roots together, there's a different energy in your voice when you're talking about that. When you describe as a pastor that connection between the sermon and a lost person uh, making a connection, and I, I think what we don't want to miss on this linking to core identity, all we have to do is look at the story of our lives going back to when we were kids up through now, and we can look for those things that bring energy to us. Not necessarily the whole job, you know, not, not necessarily all of being a pastor, but that element of being a pastor that brought you to life was the creating connections. So, for, Absolutely. Yeah. Which I think is a great place for people to start. I was reading a fascinating article uh, some years back that was making the statement that people's behavior and passions really don't change much after fourth grade. So if you want to get to know somebody, ask them, well, when you were on the playground in fourth grade, what did you do? And you can figure out who the active sports rough, you know, rough and tumble people are and who this hang back, who was social, who was a loner. And it's, it's a pattern that holds. So if you're trying to figure out your calling, go back to the playground. What, Part of that scene gave you energy and felt very natural to you. And how can you draw a connection between that and what you're thinking about doing with your life now? That is great advice. And for you, let's let's press back to when you were a kid. You've not yet had the dramatic conversion in college that you talked about, but you're doing things like your grandmother's silverware, turning into a company, doing things... That process of discerning your own path into the work world, of what you wanted to be someday, what you wanted to go off to college to become, tell us about that in your childhood. Yeah, I, I wish I had a great three-point message to give you, but it, frankly, it was just try things and figure it out. It just Everything I've ever learned to do, I saw something I wanted to solve, and I went and bought a book and read about it and figured it out. You know, when we bought our first house and we were going to build a deck, I bought a book on how to build a deck and I went and got a burning permit and burned down the brush and just figured it out. So that, that, and that is another piece of my, uh, core identity is this, I, I love the, the facet of our work where we're solving puzzles we've never seen before. So you just kind of have to figure it out. And, uh, you know, I, I think I just kept moving from one thing to another and, and hindsight's 2020, I can look back and say, oh, wow, when I was doing all these different odd jobs or when in high school the principal wouldn't let us get a vending machine with candy, and I said, why? And he said, because we don't want a vending machine. I said, so you don't mind the candy? He said, no. So I went to the local distributor and I bought cases of M&Ms and sold them out of my locker and made a killing. It was awesome. But now looking back, I can see, you know, it wasn't the what I was doing. It was the, what I was getting to do, not the what was I selling, but the fact that I could sell something that would make people happy and, you know, be a good solution. So 
I don't know when I was a kid that I could have told you, well, I know now what the next thing is I can do. And so I think looking back, I can start to examine and see, okay, deep down there was this connection uh, that I wanted to make. I wanted to create connections. Uh, but I, I don't think I could have named that. Right. And, and that's usually the story I hear is that most people will say, I didn't have clarity at the time, but we get the benefit of hindsight to look back and piece it together. So when you went off to pursue what degree in college when you first went off to college? Well, I went to uh, Wake Forest University, which is a true liberal arts school. So, you know, your first two years, you're just working through the liberal arts part of the education. The only thing I worked hard on was misbehaving, pretty much. By the time I got through most of my second year, actually probably my third year, uh, I had this conversion, and it happened to line up with when I wasn't too far into my major. I started as a philosophy major. I wanted to know the why behind all the thoughts that had happened. When I when I went through this conversion, frankly, just out of spiritual development, ended up taking a lot of religion classes from some really godly men, and it changed my major to religion. So, well, tell us in the fifteen years of pastoring in the local church, three different churches. Tell us about the move from that to back more into, we'll say, the search firm business or outside the local church. Yeah, well, the progression from the three churches is pretty, uh, it, it has some significance. I, I went to, uh, I think everybody in seminary who doesn't have a pre-planned idea ends up pastoring a church much like the one they grew up in. And so I, after this long wrestling match, I decided, okay, I'll go into ministry. And I ended up taking an associate pastor job at a church a couple hours from home that was very, very much like where I grew up. First Presbyterian Church of a small town. And, you know, I just did what I did, and uh, I kind of just learned as I went. We didn't have uh, any preachers in our family, so I didn't have family members to go back to. But but then uh, my professor from Lake Forest that I love so much sent me a stack of Lyle Schaller books. And even back then, they were old. <laughs> but uh, there was one line I read that said, we're called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. And I thought, oh, wow, now that's interesting. And that led me to a Willow Creek conference, and I can tell you where I was sitting, and I can tell you what Bill was wearing when he said it. Of course, Bill wore the same thing throughout the 1990s, uh, blue shirt and khakis. But he really turned on the light bulb for me. He was like, William, you can be an entrepreneur in the kingdom. You don't just have to sit still and wait on Sunday to come around. And that, that led me to say, I want to go into a church that has fallen down and wants to get back up. I've been studying church revitalization. I kind of fell into that class my first few men. And then I realized, oh my gosh, what a, what an incredible opportunity to do something for the church. Let's do a turnaround. So now, now I'm much more careful how I pray. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I got a chance to do a turnaround and it was awesome. We saw tremendous growth and relocated church. It was phenomenal. Thought I was going to be there forever. And then first Christian in Houston called me. And frankly, it was such an out-of-left-field call. I'd never been a member of a large church, and here I am, 31 years old, and the oldest church in the city of Houston with 5,000 members is calling me to pastor them. So I, when that call actually materialized, I just trusted this could not happen were it not the Holy Spirit. So uh, progressively, I, I learned this, let's be an entrepreneur and let's seize opportunities as they come. But I think... 
uh, by the end of my time at First Pres, which, it, it, to be fair, the end of my time at First Pres, I, I went through a divorce, mm-hmm. but that, that sort of forced the, well, this is probably not the right thing to be doing anymore, and I, I resigned. And, but looking back, even if that hadn't happened, I was probably pushing the envelope way too much with a group of people who are wonderful, godly people that were just not in a let's let's expand exponentially and try big new ideas. And I was a bull in a china shop. And so I think through those progressions of those three calls, I started to get a little bit better sense of what I belonged doing. And, you know, the move into the business world was more necessity than anything. I'm not pastoring. Uh, so what am I going to do? And I got a great offer to work for an oil and gas company in HR. And they were going to rotate me around and, you know, Helped me learn the industry, and within a year, I realized I am not made to be a manager in a very large company. That's just not right. It, it was a continued uh, clarity that I needed to be doing something more entrepreneurial. Not that it was a bad company. They're awesome. I watched how they went through their succession process and realized, man, that's a lot quicker and cleaner than the church. And so that just got me asking a lot of questions like, could you build something for the church that allowed people to get connected in a better, more thorough, and efficient way. And that that launched the firm. So it's a long way of saying it took me a long time to realize I'm called to serve the kingdom. Oh, I have I can be an entrepreneur and serve the kingdom. Oh, I might not fit in every kingdom setting with my entrepreneurial gifts. And then finally, oh, here's something I can do that's entrepreneurial that will help the kingdom that creates connections. Well, that's great. It's easier, it sounds like, to look back on the story God's written in our life and connect the dots and to, to get perspective on kind of where we're at and where we're headed in the future. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the, the key, I tell pastors who are trying to initiate change in their church, and I say, well, if you want to unlock the future, unlock the past. Go back to the first stories of why your church was founded. Nobody planted a church to say, let's plant a church that'll be boring and have committees and not know what our purpose is. No, there was a white-hot vision somewhere. If you'll go back and find the passion of the early years, you'll find uh, how to progress in the future. And I think that's true for personal calling as well. Yeah. Now, William, all of us at some point find ourselves in positions that are not the best positions for us, like you're being at the petroleum company in the HR department. But you also, with a very strong conviction, said in that year or two, I learned what I wasn't supposed to do. So is it is it safe to say that we can learn as much or more in the positions of misfit than we do the perfect positions? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I can't underline that enough. And and if you're calling, you know, when I was at that, that was a great company. Anadarko is awesome. Those people were wonderful to me. I got paid very well. And, you know, I can't say enough good things about them, but it's the first day in my life that I ever understood what people were talking about when they talked to tough day. I'm like, what are you talking? It's the first time I ever maxed out my vacation. And, you know, that's, that when that misfit starts to happen, if, if listeners are in that spot, I just start asking the question, why is there such an energy drain for you? Can you name the things that are not fitting so that you know what would fit? As we end here, William, do you, from your time and the work you do with leaders and discerning their fit, any advice as we uh, close down here for people on finding their calling? You know, I've got uh, 
son is a senior in uh, college now, and he's not going to go into ministry, by the way, uh, at least not yet. He's going to try business first, and uh, and that, that was fun to watch his calling progress. But I came across, I just stumbled into talking to him, and then our daughter, who is a sophomore in uh, college and figuring out a major, I came into four questions that I've told them to ask themselves when they're considering a job. I said, can you find something that, A, you're good at, that, B, the world needs, that, C, improves the world before you, leaves it better than you found it, and that, D, is something you enjoy and gives you energy. If you can line up all four of those things, you're going to find a job you love. I mean, most of America hates their job. If you look at their survey after survey after survey, if it, go back to, am I good at it? Is it a need? Like, can it work as a business? Uh, is it something that's going to promote good or kingdom work? And uh, am I going to have fun doing it? Uh, if you answer those four questions, and I think you'll be well on your way toward uh, moving into a job that, that will be part of your calling. Well, William's most recent book is Search, the Pastor's Search Committee Handbook. William, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, this is interesting. Uh, our folks over at B&H Publishers that are friends came to us and said, you know what, we don't have uh, all the resources likely distributed. There is no handbook for search committees to know even what to pray about. And could you write something just basic that will help search committees? Because, you know, so many times search committees are made up of people who have never in their life hired a pastor. And that's a very different thing than hiring in the corporate world or hiring for your small business. So we just basically took the main steps of the pastor search process in hopes that we can help a search committee create a connection with their new pastor. Well, that sounds like a fantastic supplement to your last book on succession planning. So great work, and thanks for being with us. Todd, it's always a pleasure. Really appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom. 